Well, some sermons are harder to prepare than others. Last night, my 16-year-old one and only daughter had sub-deb. She had a date with a 16-year-old boy. And as I sat upstairs in my study trying to prepare this sermon, I thought about them. I sent her a text, and it had one, two, three, four, five. Number one said, I love you. That was the first thing. Number one, I love you. Number two said, I know you look beautiful. Number three, I told her something about boys. Number four, I told her something else about boys. And number five, I said, see number one. And she texts back, love you, Dad. Thank you. But that was just difficult to concentrate. I even text Jimmy Katay. I text the elders. Tell them pray for me. I was so distracted uh, by that. I'm just not ready for this 16-year-old girl dating thing. But uh, we're in a sermon series. This is week three of a sermon series called The Invite. And each week I'm standing here with arms wide asking you to picture your heavenly father with his arms stretched out wide for those who feel lost. Saying what? Saying come home. And we're looking at four stories that Jesus tells us to teach us something about God. Something that we often miss about who he is. We've looked at coins and sheep and we've looked at lost sons and daughters. Today banquets and excuses. Next week seeds and soils. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. If you're so inclined, you know in a moment we'll have the the full story on the screen, but I want to give you just a second, not much, to turn to Luke chapter 14. And here it is, this story of banquets and excuses. It's a good stretch of scripture, so fasten your seatbelt and stay with me. We'll read it together. Luke 14, 7 to 24 in the ESV. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. There's that word, When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are what? When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. How embarrassing that, that is. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, Move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Remember the, cult, remember the backdrop. He's talking to people who worship the opinions of other people. Like they are living uh, just to like make people happy and to be good in other people's sight. And so Jesus in his brilliance speaks a story that's straight to their heart. For everyone, verse 11, who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted Anybody watch the Rose Bowl when Georgia played themselves into the national championship game against uh, Alabama? They, they competed out against Oklahoma in Pasadena. They, lost, they won over Baker Mayfield, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback of Oklahoma. And there was a Georgia linebacker who on the field after the game was shouting over to Baker Mayfield, who's kind of known as a flashy, provocative, hotshot quarterback. And he goes, humble yourself, humble yourself. He was shouting, humble yourself. And they asked this Georgia linebacker, what were, what were you telling him and he, in, in the, the post-game locker room? He said, I was telling him to humble himself. And it's just easier for us to do that, isn't it? I mean, that's so blatant. It was like right there on ABC News and on ESPN later and in this sermon as an illustration. But it's just easy for us to tell other people to humble themselves. But that's a famous line, isn't it? And it's a truth that, boy, to our detriment, we miss. Next verse. Verse 15. I'll read 14 again. It's so good. And you will be blessed because because they cannot repay you. Okay. Are we there? Okay. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at a table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A a man once gave a banquet and invited many. Here's Jesus going to drive it home with real life illustration. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited... 
Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry here in Jesus' story. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these, those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. There's the word invited five times in this story that Jesus tells. Have you ever thought about how important festivals are in biblical times? Now, this is a southern crowd largely, so I, don't, I guess I don't have to talk about festivals and food much with you guys. You're all bought in, right? We are as southern people. But in the Bible, it was a, it was a big deal. We see in the first part of the book, we see the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Sabbath Rest, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Day Atonement. There's a lot of feasts. We see a feast here in Luke chapter 14 in this story that Jesus tells. At the end of the book, when it's all said and done, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at Revelation 19, 9. It says the following, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed, the folks who are really happy are those who are what? who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Feast and festivity is a big, big deal in the heart of God. So I want us to look at two things that Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God in this parable, in this story that he told. And the first is this, that the kingdom of God is a party. We often think of the kingdom of God as a constrictive set of rules, as a suppressive straitjacket that keeps us in line. Maybe that's how you were parented. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, but that's not the heart of God. The kingdom of God, Jesus wants people to know, is a party. Now, let me ask you, 11 o'clock, I'm a little nervous, but what do you do at a party? Maybe I shouldn't ask the 11 o'clock. 9.30, we felt pretty safe. Those are pretty sanctified people over there in the gym. But what do you do at a party? In biblical times, forget about your parties, but in biblical times, a party was to celebrate. And in biblical narrative, we see that there was, a, you celebrate, we are, need, it's just needed. You celebrate to enjoy. Remember the stories that we've told in this series, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, they were lost, they were found. And what happened? There is, there is rejoicing. Friday night, I went for a run. Jeff and Ashley Hightower can tell you, and I went for this long run. They saw me come in. I was all layered up and I'd run with my car key. Should have left it in the gas cap or under the tire, hidden in the office of the church, but I took it with me and it bounced out of my jacket. I was looking for my car keys and I thought, this will be a good story. I'm going to, with my wife, we're going to go searching for the car keys. I have a great story of lostness to tell the church. Apparently, God wanted just to teach me that it's good to have a backup set of keys to be prepared. That's what the wisdom that the Lord had for me. But we celebrate to enjoy, and it's really enjoyable when somebody comes home, when, when, you, when you find something, because you, you don't take it for granted because you didn't have it. So people that take things for granted, we're not grateful. 
The, the happiness quotient goes way down when you have entitlement and assume that you deserve all of this and other things to come your way. But we celebrate in the Bible to enjoy lost coin, lost son, lost sheep. Jesus tells a story uh, in the prodigal, as you know, last week where the son comes back and he kills the fatted calf, right? And he, they party. There's a kiss, there's a robe, there's a ring, and there's this big steak that they eat. And they celebrate together. They celebrated to enjoy. Jesus uh, gives us this account in the gospel narratives where people are, are coming with him. They're following him. They're curiosity seekers. They're onlookers, well-wishers, whatever. And some of them w- would become committed followers. And they go in with Jesus into a city and the, they're singing and dancing and clapping. How uncomfortable is that for some of you to clap in church? Okay, we're praying for you. All right, we're just, we, it was just like John Mark had to explain it, what it is, left hand, right hand. But they were clapping and they were singing and they were dancing and they came with Jesus into the city and the chief priest says they ought to be shut up. To which Jesus says, some of you know this, he says, if they remain silent, what? The rocks themselves will sing. You see, it's in, in the heart of God to have joy. Joy, C.S. Lewis says, is the serious business of heaven. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the kingdom is about. And we celebrate in order to enjoy. We party to celebrate and celebrate to enjoy. Secondly, we celebrate to endure. It can be difficult to stay on the course. It can be difficult to endure stretches that are desolate, scenery that is not beautiful, and faith feelings that go into hiding and don't seem to come out again, and a closeness that you once had that you don't experience. It's, it's just hard to endure. It's, so we, we're called to purposefully, intentionally party, to throw some parties, even if you don't feel like it, and then watch the feelings follow at times. Now listen. Let me talk to you for a second. Some of you will appreciate this, the 50 and older crowd, but we've been to some parties lately and we've noticed, we've noticed that for some people, alcohol is their Holy Spirit. You with me? Like, you know, the Holy Spirit is to guide you and comfort you and teach you and infuse your life with joy and personality and mission. And some of us, we lack that and we turn to alcohol and that's what we're looking for to help us and heal us and numb us and give us that joy. And here Jesus is teaching us that you don't have to feel like it to throw the party. When I was in college, a man named Bill Bright taught me a train diagram. You may laugh, but it's changed my life. He put at the front of the diagram the fact of God's word. He put behind that, he put behind that uh, faith, faith in that. Do you believe that? And then there's a caboose to that little engine. And the caboose is your feelings. And a lot of times I have found in my 51 years of living that my feelings will come once I put my faith in the fact of God's word. And though his love I teach often is catalytic, I, I respond to that and I throw the party. I have the feast. I have the festival. I invite people over. We break bread and we celebrate. And we need to do that to endure, to not grow weary, to not lose heart. We need to do it to lift our eyes off of our preoccupation with the work we have, the money that we owe, the trouble that arises in our lives, with the image that we're trying to project to other people. We need to lift our eyes to him. We need to celebrate to endure, to put our minds on heaven in the midst of what is amiss and what is a mess in the world in which we live. We need that. We need to celebrate, to endure, to set the joy of the Lord before us. 
as we throw away what easily entangles us and hinders us so that we can run the race before us. Point number one, note takers, sorry if I lost you. Point number one, the kingdom of God is like a party. And when you're at a party, biblically speaking, you are to celebrate and you celebrate to enjoy. It's the heart of God. You celebrate to endure. It's hard to get through this life. Listen, some of you are weary today. And I want to tell you, you need a Sabbath, a full day of rest every week. Try to beat that. I've, I've tried to beat that in my life. I'm not exempt. I have limits. Don't try to break that. And some of you are growing weary. You're very worn out. In the midst of the serving and the giving and the, the, the study and all of that, you're weary. Even the writer in Ecclesiastes put it this way, studying so much causes the spirit to be weary. Some of you students, right, this, you just begun the semester. You'll, you'll, you'll be reminded of this in a few weeks. Too much study can weary you. And God says through the writer of Ecclesiastes, come out, party. Let's party. You're weary. Put it down. And just like a feast means more when you fast and rest means more when you work, so it is true in this regard. And we need it. In the midst of pouring our life out. Paul said, I pour my life out as a drink offering. But you know what? Yes, he was theological, but he was so relational. He had friends and tight, close relationships, and they celebrated, they enjoyed, and were able to endure because of those friendships. So for a second, I want to say to you, okay, first point, what did we say? The kingdom of God in this parable, Jesus said, it's like a party. Secondly, the kingdom of God is like a place at the table. Now, this is where, as a church, we lose our way really easily. We argue, and we have denominational opinions and affiliations, but we, in many ways, lose our way. Now, just for point of clarity, if you're a guest at our church, we're not anti-denominational. It's true we're non-denominational. We felt like it was what God was calling us to in Fondren in this season for the life of our church into, into the next season, the next season, and the next season. So we're not anti-denominational, but we're, we're non-denominational. But denominations and churches uh, divide and try to conquer through this. And opinions vary. But Jesus is saying the kingdom is like a party. The kingdom is like a place at the table. And look at what he said. Every, look, everybody in the room has heard this. Luke chapter 10. Jesus taught this. Luke 10, 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Shake your head. Everybody's heard that one, right? Everybody has heard that before. And I bet everybody wants to be in agreement with that. But here's what I want to submit to you. Look at this very idea. By obeying one command, could it be that we obey all the other commands? So there's 613 you ever get tripped up on regulations and rules, procedures and policies and church stuff? You ever feel like the Bible is used against you as a bullet? You ever lose your way because of stuff within the four walls of a place like this? Maybe by obeying this one command, we obey all the other commands. If you're resistant to this, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that for discussion purposes, you hurt or harm one of my kids. If that's true, we're going to have some problems. Wouldn't you say, like me and you are going to have some problems because you harmed one of my kids. Let's say, for discussion purposes, that you go get a gift card for $150 to my favorite restaurant and bring it to me. 
but you go and once again harm one of my kids. I don't care about the gift card. I'm not going to accept that gift card. I'm not going to use that gift card because you've harmed one of mine. And could it be, could it be that that could be God's heart? That around you, all around you, there are women and there are men who bear the image, the stamp of God. And that in this world that we live, everybody you see matters to him. Scripture teaches us to love everyone. Every so often I mention this from this very platform. But when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, there's no asterisk, no fine print, no footnote to that. It's love everyone. And maybe by getting that one commandment right, we get all the others right. If you love my kids, I don't expect anything of you. You don't have to give me anything because you're loving my kids. Do you, are you with me here? And that, I believe, really is the heart of the Father. The kingdom of God, Jesus teaches us, it's a party. It's a party to celebrate. The way you enjoy and the way you endure is being intentional and purposeful about celebrating. The kingdom of God is a place at the table. And it's a place at the table for everybody. Any NASCAR fans in the room? I have to admit, I don't know a lot about racing, but I want to show you Team Hendrick. These are Team Hendrick's racers, current racers, or the most recent and what I learned about this sport, this team of NASCAR racers, these guys, they all drive the same cars. On this team, it's the same car, the same engine, the same structure, the same chassis, the same, you name it, it's the same. The difference, the distinction is the driver. Who's driving the car? Will they win? Will they lose? What, what place will they finish in depends on the driver. And what I want to say to you this morning is, who's driving? Like churches and religious people, we get really mixed up and funny about this, but who is driving? And who ought to be driving? Who ought to be driving in the church? I want to submit to you that the answer is Jesus. I know some of you really wanted to say Robert, but it's Jesus. And driving, who's driving, is really important. So is direction as I mess up my poster board so is the direction of where you're going now long before Honda made cars scripture tells us in Acts that all the believers were in one accord they were driving and they were going in the same direction they were headed this way they were following Jesus and people were going in that direction, Acts 9, 31, the believers were all together. Judea, J J Jerusalem, Samaria, all these places, Galilee, they were together. They enjoyed peace with one another. They built one another up. They went on in the fear of God and the comfort of, of the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? Like that describes the early church in one accord. The driver is Jesus and they're heading in this direction. Now, if you lead an organization, you'll appreciate this. We've talked about this as a staff team. It's an important organizational principle I learned a couple of years ago. But you see there's an arrow. I'll try to speak for people who listen this week online. But there's an arrow, a big fat arrow pointed in one direction. And within that arrow, you'll see there are lines and almost all those lines are going, those arrows, smaller arrows, are going in the direction of the big arrow. But if you look close, some of you will be able to see this. There are a couple of arrows that aren't going exactly in the direction of the big arrow or the other arrows. And if you can see, you'll see one is going in the opposite direction. 
And there's an arrow that's sort of going in that direction, but not fully. Now, here's my question. As followers of Jesus, what's more damaging organizationally? Is it the arrow that's going in the opposite direction? Or is it the arrow that's sort of going in the right direction, but not fully? Can I tell you? It's not the one going in the opposite direction. Why? Are you a team leader anywhere? Why? Are you, are you, are you called to build unity in your school or your place of employment or something that you do? Listen, it's easy when someone is going in the opposite direction. Oh, look, you're not on board. Like, you, you know, we're selling hamburgers. You want to sell tacos. We want to, we'll call the taco place so you can get a job selling tacos because that's what you want to do. But as someone who hangs around your hamburger stand and behind your back, they say, hey, we don't want to put ketchup on the hamburgers. Ketchup is for French fries. And there's just little things that aren't as noticed that are incremental and small. And that is more damaging to an organization. Someone, here's what I'm saying, someone that's on board, but not really on board. And that's very, very damaging. So what I want to say to you is what if we were a church where Jesus is our driver? When Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost, that that would be our mission. Is that when we come and follow him, that would be our heart. In fact, we would have membership, but we wouldn't have membership for the sake of membership rights and privileges. We would have membership for the sake of his glory and for the sake of those who aren't even here yet. So for those who need to find him. And that we would sacrifice and give of our lives financially and emotionally and mentally and, and, and with our gifts, we would invest ourselves, divest of ourselves for the mission, and that we would all go together, but that we would realize that it's love. You know this, you know Luke 10, 27, you know John 15, it says this. Everybody in the room, I'm, I bet you, has heard this. John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is the one that we need to get right. But what's happening in churches today is we'll gather in a large room like this, the lower level in the balcony, in the gym, or in the sanctuary. And we'll say, oh, I'm in. Jesus loves everybody. I want to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love my neighbors, myself. And then we'll get in our groups, or we'll get home, or we'll get in quiet places. And we'll say, well, unless they, you know, don't look like us. Unless they don't think like us, vote like us, behave like us. And Jesus wants us. He wants us to pull in the same direction. He wants to drive and he wants love to be what's most important. And it's a little flimsy, a little loose, a little silly, but think about today as you go, think about that illustration with me as a father and my kids and how you might treat them and what I want from you and don't want from you. And think about God and think about who he is and think about his kids around us. This is the commandment that we need to get right. The kingdom is a party. And the kingdom is a place at the table. And Jesus knew what he was doing. Like Jesus went to this party, and though he was a partier, he didn't get, he didn't get invited back to this party. Because it was a shocking story with a couple of stunning statements, and he upset the apple cart. This is what got him to the cross. Because we miss God's heart. And his heart is love for who? Everybody. So as we round toward home, I want to give you two dangers Two dangers that can cause people, that do cause people, to miss the party, to miss the kingdom. The first is this. It's not the right time. 
In this parable, do some of you remember Jesus tells about three men. One man says, hey, I got to go buy this field. Another man, I got to buy this oxen. Uh, This other man, hey, I just got married. And these were excuses. These were flimsy excuses. You had to inspect the land. You wanted to see if the oxen could do, well, if they were strong and healthy and sturdy. And a lot went into marriages. You know, back then, the marriages were arranged in first century Jewish culture. Uh, I'm a fan of that, arranged marriages. But that's not what happens today. But a lot of preparation. It wasn't an abrupt decision. And there were two. As I studied this week, I've, I've discovered that there were really two invitations in first century Jewish culture. There was the invitation that required a response, RSVP. Thank God she's good at that. I'm not. But there's the RSVP. First response requires First invitation requires a response. The second invitation is to those who responded affirmatively, telling them that the banquet is ready. Now, you notice the urgency. The master in Jesus' story got angry, and he got angry. Think about this. Cut him some slack, okay? Because for you and I, we have refrigerators, and we have cooling systems, and we have ways, Yeti coolers, whatever it is. We have ways to store and preserve food. At that time, they were learning about salt as a preservative agent, but that's about all that they had, and they were learning. So there was a sense of urgency. You and I could say, hey, you come to the party. No, I can't be there. And we can, we can make the food ready the next day or a couple of days later, but not then. And so there's this urgency. Y'all come. Wait, wait, wait. You said you were coming. Come. Come now. And notice these three men, the one who bought the field, the one who was buying the oxen, the one who just got married, they weren't really saying no as much as they were saying not yet. And I want for a moment, without scaring you, I kind of want to go old school on you. I want to tell you what scripture says. That this now not yet thing, the, the no not yet thing is a big deal. Scripture teaches us that today is the day of salvation. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews put it this way. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Anybody learn that the longer you put something off, the harder it becomes? It's true. There is something for those who say now. And these men, their flimsy excuses to the party, to the invitation, to the table was, ah, later, later. And you notice, breaking this down for modern hearers, we noticed two things that made them say, not yet. Possessions and relationships. Possessions and relationships. Now, it's okay to possess good things. We don't rip the rich at Fondren Church. In fact, be blessed. If God is blessing you, you be blessed. Know that you're blessed to be a blessing. But we don't rip the rich. First Timothy 6, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. But we know how Jesus lived and we know how he taught. And we know that it's very difficult. It's easy really to let your possessions possess you and then pull you apart. To pull you away from the kingdom. It's just so easy. I see a lot of young people, and they're in this really challenging season of life, and I'm not even sure that they know it fully. I say this a lot. When someone gets cancer or has a car wreck or something really bad happens, we as a church and we as Southern people, we're going to come to your house, we're going to bring a casserole, and we're going to love on you, and we've got that down. Like, check that off. We do that really well, at least for the first couple of weeks. But when you're a young couple or and you're raising a family, and you're trying to have a marriage that's intimate and children that are, that are good. 
It's difficult. And nobody there really to hug you, but it's a very difficult season of life. So stay with me for a second. Let's pretend that you're young, that you're married, that you're in school, that you have a small family, a part-time job, and you're paying rent. Okay, to recap, you're young, you're married, you're, you have a, you're in school, you have a small family, part-time job, and you're paying the rent. I would say to you, if you came to my office to visit me, I would say to you, your load is full. Like what you're doing, do that well. But what we do is too quickly, we add a mortgage, a second job, a third child, a boat, a cabin, and season tickets. There is nothing wrong with a boat, cabin, or season tickets. I use a lot of yours. I'm very grateful that you have them. I'm just saying to you, be careful. Be careful not to overload the circuit. But that's, that's what we do. Some of you know this, but when you get a boat, you have to buy it, you have to insure it, you have to maintain it, you have to gas it and winterize it, you have to store it, you have to stand in line to renew it with the DMV. It just takes a lot. And as I said earlier, your possessions, if you're not careful, will possess you and pull you apart. And before you know it, you don't have time for the things of the kingdom. Your heart has grown hard, but it's like boiling a frog in a kettle on the stove. You don't notice it because it happens so slowly to be candid there aren't many people who get my age who haven't lost their soul who aren't at a place where they're so bitter and angry and cynical so jaded and so hard where their soul is just empty and shriveled so much bitterness that has built up They've lost so much along the way and they overloaded the circuit. So hear me for a second, going back to Jesus, because that's always good. When Jesus talked about the party, when he talked about the kingdom, he talked about joy. And when he talked about joy in John chapter 15, read it later, he tells a story about the branches and the vine. You know that story? And he says that you've got to prune. We have to prune. God prunes. You know, God hurts us and takes things out of our lives and it hurts in the moment, but it can be very, very good. And I'm sorry if that hurts you today. I'd like, I'd like to walk out there. We don't have time and hug you but it's ultimately going to be good for you. But you and I need to proactively prune. And Jesus taught that in John 15. And so people, listen. When the load is full, learn words. Learn to be able to say no and learn to get rid of. Learn to eliminate and reduce and sell and throw away. That is a good, good thing. What Jesus taught long ago plays out perfectly in settings of psychology and sociology. It is good when you give things away. It is good when you throw things away. And it could save your soul. Because your possessions and your relationships could occupy a place that Jesus never intended. And to quote Tim Keller, good things become God things. And that's when they become an idol. And it moves you further and further away from the party, from the table, from the kingdom. So one danger we say is that it's not the right time. Another danger, I don't belong. I'm going to go ancient on you and put up a name from 2 Samuel chapter 9. This name is so hard to pronounce. Say it with me out loud. Mephobosheth. Let's call him that guy. That guy, Mephobosheth, he bowed down and he said, hey, y'all don't mock me up here, okay? This is hard. What is your servant? Okay, he bowed down. 
What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Does it break anybody's heart that some people feel that way? Like you don't have to go back to ancient Old Testament culture. Now David, a year ago we did a series called Flawed Hero. Anybody remember when we talked about the life of David and David a precursor to Jesus? Look at verse 13 of 2 Samuel 9. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because, listen, he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. You know what David did? He sinned greatly. We know that. Like, David was a sinner. Any sinners in the house? Like, any, anybody sinned greatly? Anybody? They're mostly in the balcony up there. Yeah. They've sinned greatly. David sinned greatly. But he was called a man after God's own heart. And I think this is one of the reasons. Is that David in 2 Samuel, like he went out into the hedgeways and the highways. And he looked for the lame and the crippled and the poor and the blind. And he said, hey, there's room at the king's table. And then here comes Jesus. And some people think there's no room at the table. Every so often someone will come see me and their head is bowed. Now I'm no king, but their head is bowed and shame has gotten the best of them. Here's what Eugene Peterson said. I am not myself by myself. How important is the table? How important is it to have a sense of belonging? Anybody recognize this man, Josh, you are? Look at this picture. Y'all got it? That, who's that? Thank you, my wife. That's a young John McCain. Shot down in the Vietnam War for five years, imprisoned. And when he was shot down, none of you have been shot down in a plane, right? I'm guessing. Lost both arms or both legs. Lost use of them. They were broken severely. He was tortured in the Hanoi Hilton, they called it. For three of the five years as a prisoner of war, he was in a three-foot-by-six-foot three by box. Here's what John McCain wrote. Of all the activities I devised to survive, nothing was more beneficial than community with other prisoners. I wonder what your excuse is. It was really a matter of life and death. Knowing the men in my prison and being known by them affirmed our humanity and it kept us all alive. Here's a bench in Zimbabwe. The president of Zimbabwe several years ago created what they called friendship benches. This is true. You're going to Google it so I've got to get all my facts right. He created the friendship bench because they didn't have enough mental health experts. They didn't have enough counselors. They didn't have enough people in ministry, enough coaches, enough guides and mentors. And they said, our country, the depression and the suicide and the divorce rate and the addiction levels are all rising. So they created friendship benches around the cities of Zimbabwe where someone, a trained volunteer, sometimes a professional, would sit at the benches all day for a full day. And anybody who comes to the bench would be listened to. They would be loved and as best they could, they would offer them some counsel. You'd be surprised at the counsel you could give. Like your, your life may be a train wreck, but sometimes you can look at somebody else and go, hey, here's what you ought to do. 
And in Zimbabwe, the suicide and depression, divorce rate, addiction quotient has plummeted. Look, I'm just telling you, God created us all the same in any culture, any place, any time period. Like you are meant to belong and you need a place. A place at the table. In Palm Desert this Christmas, I sat at a coffee shop and I was reading a socialite magazine in Palm Springs that identified the 100 most influential people in the Coachella Valley. We have magazines like this around here. I'm always looking for my name and picture. 100 most influential, powerful people. And as I looked at that with a Bible next to me and a journal that I was about to write in, I thought, you know, there's no school teachers or bus drivers. Noticeably absent from this list are kids or kids with Down syndrome or autism. So that means that this is man's list, not Jesus's. The poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled. I'm going to close with this. Last Saturday night, I went to Cups Fondren. I was there last night, saw y'all. But I went in, as I do, to get a, to get a cup of coffee, and I ran into a, a friend of mine, a really good friend who lives right there, and he was getting a little tea. It was real cute. Hard to be a man when you get ordered a little tea like that. And so Buffkin Moore, when he got his tea there, he's put a little ginger in it. He's in the back. And he put some tea, some ginger and other things. He was telling me a proprietary blend of something that I lost interest in. And he said, hey, Robert, I'll be asleep in 10 minutes. And I was getting a large cup of coffee going, I'll be up till 4. And then I'm going to get up at 6. And as we were leaving, Buff and I talked, it was really too cold. And he went away, and as I turned, he wouldn't have seen, but I turned, and my lights of my truck, it was 20 degrees, and the lights of my truck were in that little cranny of hops in Havana. And there were two homeless men laying in bitterly cold conditions. And I thought, man, oh. I thought things that humans think. And what's really cool is I, I, I can't bust your anonymity. You'll get mad at me. But three, four people from Fondren Church got out of a truck and had blankets and stuff. So could it be when we get that right, we've obeyed? all the commands. What's the kingdom? If you tell me, I'll stop. What's the kingdom of God? It is a party. And secondly, it is a it's a place at the table. Would you stand? Father, we give you these few moments we have to worship you in song, to pray at the altar, to give of resources. And Jesus, as we pray, I can't help but think about how this story probably should convict us today and should really convict some who hold on to their resources who have their doors closed tight. Because this is a story about giving and it's a story 